Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good morning, Connect Church. Let's thank our team for leading us out. Man, singing the truth and singing the gospel uh, this morning. So grateful that you are here as we continue yet another Sunday to make much of Jesus and to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, it's been a really really good week uh, in the life of Connect Church. Uh, Mallory and Kevin Sam, great job with Isaiah House, a fundraiser. We got to be with them this past week and then and then last night with Bridge the Gap Ministry, a recovery ministry that we get to partner with and uh, man, just been a, a good week watching Jesus make a difference in a, in a whole lot of people's lives in our community and we're glad that he's going to do the same again uh, this morning. This past week uh, our kids were in standard test at their school. Man, I hated that time of year. Every school year, they were right in the middle of it. And one of my, uh, my daughter, Avery, who's 10 years old, her teacher uh, sent us all a text message that, hey, look, send us an embarrassing video clip of your child when they were much younger because we're gonna, we're gonna do this for the entire class and just have a whole lot of fun. And man, we knew right away what clip we were going to use. You see, when Avery was two years old, we went to New York City, and we were down in Times Square. And, uh, you know, you, there's just a ton of vendors around Times Square if you've ever been to New York City. And, uh, and there was a little vendor who had kids' hats and kids' beanies. And so we saw, because at that time, Anna and Elsa were every song we sang, every movie we watched at that time. Uh, it was just, it was a terrible season of life. And so we decided to buy our daughter an Anna beanie that had her braids, uh, Anna's braids kind of going down, and, and there was a little uh, squeeze button that you could push, and it would make the, the braids of the hair go up. Now, when we put it on Avery's head in New York, in New York, New York City at Times Square, and, and those braids shot up for the first time, I want y'all to look at the screen. Look, look at her reaction at two years old. <laughs> isn't that, man, isn't that sweet right there? Well, one more time. Hey, listen. Hey, that's good. Um, the sermon's over. Just go home. Right? That, listen, man, I remember that moment like yesterday. And you know, I got to thinking as we sent that out today. And that's the excitement and joy that it ought to be when we got, gather together as this church. Hey, you know, if little braid's moving can get a child excited. How much more the Spirit of God moving in the life of His church. And so my prayer is this, that every Sunday we gather together, that we come with a childlike faith and excitement for what God's going to do. Last week, uh, we had the chance to sit poolside at Bethesda. And there we saw Jesus do the impossible. There He healed a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years of his life. I mean, just incredible. But today, we are going to see that the culmination of last week's miracle in verse 9 of John chapter 5 really would act as a catalyst for the enemies of Jesus to cause some trouble. And so for the first time in the Gospel of John, we see conflict and we see tension begin to arise around Jesus. So let's read uh, verse 9 from last week, and it says this, that at once the man was cured. 
He picked up his mat and he walked. Guys, who could ever be critical of this? And yet, this sentence changes everything. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. In the first part of the text, you were like, man, wow, this man who could not walk is now walking. But you, if you are a Jewish mind, if you are a Jewish person, you read the second part of that text and you think, whoa. Oh, Jesus healed on the, on the Sabbath. Your, your, draw, your jaw begins to drop. Your heart begins to sink. You get that sick feeling in the pit of your gut. And in your mind, you're going, oh, no. This sign, this miracle, takes a scandalous turn in the minds of Jewish religious leaders sitting poolside at Bethesda that day. Now, there's no actual scandal here, but these guys, as you'll see, I mean, they're pretty good at coming up with scandals and accusations to level against those they could not control. And let me just tell you something about Jesus And they couldn't control him then, and we can't control him now. And they're figuring this out. You might ask, what's the big deal about about the Sabbath? And maybe you might be asking, what is a Sabbath? Well, you see, the Sabbath is the time period from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday every week. It was the same time period, the same day that the Lord rested from creating in Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day of creation. And so established by the law, the people of God had to set apart the Sabbath day as holy according to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We find out in verse 16, what really begins to take shape is this incredible conflict and tension. Watch this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They saw the healing of this paralyzed man at the pool as a violation of Sabbath law. And so the question comes, did Jesus sin? Did he break the very Sabbath law he himself authored? No. It was not the law of God but the law of man and religion that Jesus broke. And I'm going to tell you something. It's about time somebody broke it. And Jesus did. Yes, the law of God in the Old Testament, it forbidden a Jewish man, a Jewish woman from normal work on the Sabbath in order that God's people could could rest in him. The work pointed out by the law was working in the field in Exodus 34, treading in a wine press or loading animals in Nehemiah 13, doing business carrying in Isaiah 58, Jeremiah 17, any kind of traveling in Exodus 16, and the kindling of fire in Exodus 35. But I want you to hear me. What we see in John chapter 5 was no normal work of man. It was the working of God in the flesh. But here's where the problem lied. Jewish scholars took the law of God concerning the Sabbath in the Bible, and they created an extra 39 categories in the Mishnah, which is not the Bible, the Word of God. There were 39 extra categories of work. And under those 39 um, categories of work that they created, there were many more subcategories where literally there were thousands of rules governing what was and what wasn't work. 
You see, thousands of rules authored by men to keep God's people from breaking the law authored by God. You see, Jesus broke their man-made laws, but he did not break the law of God. In fact, Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Sabbath itself, you got to realize this, church, the Sabbath itself pointed to Jesus. Rather than resting for a day, you and I, because of Jesus, can rest forever in him. And the very one that Matthew teaches us is the Lord of the Sabbath. The authors of Hebrews verse four, or chapter 4, verse 3, said this, that now we have believed, we who have believed have entered that rest who is Jesus. Let, let me teach you this real quick. You ready? That we no longer have to work for salvation through the law. We are saved by the Lord of the Sabbath, resting in Jesus by faith. But we begin to see even in John chapter 5 that Jesus is going to pour a little gasoline on this fire of conflict and tension. Watch this. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And here comes some fighting words. And I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself, what, equal with God. Gasoline on the fire check. Not only did he heal on the Sabbath, but now he claims that he and the Father are one. And in the minds of the Jewish people, the religious leader, this was blasphemy. And then we begin to see something. That cancel culture has always been alive. It's not a new phenomenon. We see it alive poolside at Bethesda that day. But we learn a couple of things, a few things from Jesus here at the end of John chapter 5 of how we stand against the cancel culture. Here they are. Are you ready? Number one, Jesus confronts truth that was unwanted and unwelcome. Here's the second thing he does that we're going to see. Jesus speaks the truth clearly even though there was a lot of cultural confusion. We'll get into that confusion a little bit. And here's number three. Jesus refuses to be canceled. He won't let it happen. It won't happen. We begin to see these unwelcome and unwanted truths that Jesus did confront. In fact, there's five of them that I want to point out uh, to you here in John chapter 5. Truth number one, he says, I'm equal with God in verse 17 through 20. Number two, that he was the life giver. Jesus, the life giver in verse 21 and 26. He told them, I'm the judge in 22 and 23, that I'm salvation in 24, and I will raise the dead in verses 25 through 29. Hey, real quick, can I tell you, man, I just love him because he is all these things. But in a Jewish mindset, you hear those claims. You go, no, no, wait a second. Jesus, no. Only God can do and be those things. Exactly. Exactly right. Only God can be that. And so Jesus now begins to confront truth 
The truth that he and the Father are one. It challenged their religion, their belief system. So Jesus had to be canceled. He had to be silenced. These supposed men of God in the text turned to violence, which is always the weapon of choice for those with the weaker arguments. They were out to cancel Jesus because he spoke the truth. Jesus knew that, but listen to me, ready? But he spoke the truth anyway. But he spoke the truth anyway. Even with those out to cancel him. He spoke the truth anyway. And here's the reason why. Because truth always leads to Jesus. Truth always leads to him. Leads to salvation and life. But lies, they push us away from Jesus towards brokenness and towards death. But those claims, the words that Jesus spoke and the truth he shared, they were fighting words then and they are still fighting words now. I got to thinking, I wondered what truth could you and I say from a pulpit? Say at a kitchen table. Say at a lunchroom table at school or around the water cooler at work. What are five truths that we can speak out loud today that would solicit the kind of response that Jesus received in John chapter 5. And here's a couple that I I, I jotted down. Uh, Truth number one, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Hey, not your good works and no other religion. It's truth. Now I want to say something. Not everybody believes like me on this. And I can sit at the table with, I can minister to, and I can love someone who says, Anthony, I'm not there with you yet there. But it's still truth. It's still truth. Uh, and number two, the second truth that I thought, man, would, would elicit really the same response that Jesus received, and that is, there is no other God but our God. Allah of Islam is not God. He is a false God. The gods of Hinduism, they are false gods. Judaism, They have missed their Messiah and on and on. But I'm going to tell you something. Man, I can sit at the table with a Hindu. Man, I I can can share a meal with a Muslim. And I can sit all day with a Jewish man or woman and do everything I can to share the truth with them and point them to Jesus. Truth number three that we could share that would, that would solicit this outrage and cancel culture today, and that is this. Marriage is the union of, of one man and one woman in a covenant, committed relationship for life. That, hey, listen, that is God's design for his glory and our good. And listen to me, there is no other biblical marriage than this right here. Right now, some of our Methodist brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church are facing an incredibly difficult time. For the first time since its conception, since the Wesley boys found in Methodism, the church is divided. Going on in churches all over the world, they are standing either on the truth of God's word and the biblical definition of marriage, or they are not. And I'm going to tell you, I've got some dear friends in this community who are part of the United Methodist Church. 
They've got congregations, people who love Jesus, and I am calling on them, the leaders and the parishioners, the pastors of those churches, to stand upon the truth of God's word and to uphold biblical marriage. But you know what? Not everybody agrees with me here. Man, I can sit at a table. I can hug a neck. And I can labor in love to share the truth of what we know to be God's design in his word. And talk about another truth that will get you in trouble these days. That our God-given gender at birth is to the glory of God and to our good. Hey, church, I want you to hear me say, well, Anthony, you probably about a month and a half ago said something about this. And probably in another month, I'm going to say something about it again. And, and then if I need to even do more, why? Because this is what our culture is screaming. And maybe, just maybe, it's good to be reminded of the truth of God. I want to remind you, a boy is always a boy. A girl is always a girl. At our God-given gender at birth is to the glory of God. It's for our good. And it's the good of our community. Hey, biblically and biologically, there is no such thing, and I want you to hear me. There is no such thing as a man becoming a woman or a woman becoming a man. It is not true. And I will not go along playing along with any delusion that is destroying people. I just, man, we can't do it. No amount of surgeries or, or hormones or public demagoguing can change what God has designed, which leads to practical conclusions, church. Biological boys don't belong in girls' bathrooms. Hey, they don't belong in girls' sports. Children, listen, children cannot make life-altering decisions about their health. Um, at school, every year one of my kids has a pirate's day. Or we gotta, we gotta dress them up as a pirate and we gotta send them to school. My, my kids love Pirates Day at school. What would you think of me as a dad if I told you that one of my kids came home, one of my daughters came home and said, Daddy, listen, I don't wanna be a pirate for a day. I wanna be a pirate forever. And then I told you, here's what I'm gonna do. I set up an appointment for Monday at an ophthalmologist. And here's what I'm going to have him do. I'm going to have him remove what is a healthy and functioning perfect eyeball from the head of my child so that they could have a patch and they could be a pirate. And then on Tuesday, I set up another appointment with an orthopedic. And what I'm going to have him do is I'm going to have him go in there because my child wants to be a pirate and I'm going to have them amputate their perfectly healthy and functioning leg and then have it fitted for a prosthetic that looks like a peg leg so they could be a pirate. And listen to me, you know what you would do? You go, you crazy. Your child is impressionable and they're innocent and they need you to love them right in this time. You are crazy, and in fact, if that eye doctor, if that orthopedic were to perform such a surgery, man, they're crazy, and they're wrong. That's ridiculous. Church, hear me. Exactly. Exactly. Not everybody agrees with me here. Oh, but do I have a table somebody can sit at? Would I serve them and Find a way to minister to them? Absolutely. To share the truth of the gospel. Here's a, 
a last truth that I got to thinking. Guys, by the way, can you not tell that I've hit the most polarizing issues in the church and, and community? And here's the, here's the last one, that life begins at conception. Hey, hey, listen to me. No matter if it's by pill or procedure, the ending of a life is a violation of number six of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not murder. It is the taking of life. And we believe that all life, no matter how small, to quote Horton, matters to God. I'm going to tell you something. Not everybody agrees with me here. But man, do I have a table. Man, can I share a meal? And will I labor in love to share the truth with them? These five truths will get you canceled in a culture like ours. Talk about unwelcome and unwanted truth. Such truth is not even tolerated by those who practice and preach in the religion of tolerance. I'll be honest with you, in a setting like this, just saying those out loud for some of you is very uncomfortable. Like, in our minds we go, you can't say that out loud. Yes, I can. Yet, yes, I can as a believer and as an American. I can say these things out loud and we must, we must say them out loud. Why does it make us uncomfortable? Because we have been conditioned by culture to see such truth as intolerance or, or hate speech or a phobia or violence. And I want you to hear me. It is none of that. It is truth as established by God, communicated through his word. uh, Speaking the truth is not an act of hate. Church, it's an act of love. And so I want to encourage you all the more. Don't you be a hater. Don't you be a hater of people. Man, we love people who would even disagree with us here. And so here's a guidepost. You ready? Always speak truth in love. If you want to use truth as a hater, then just shut up. Don't open your mouth. We follow the commands of Scripture in Ephesians 4.15 that says among the body of Christ, we are to speak the truth in love. And that is both inside the church and that is outside the church. We speak the truth in love. Why? Why even bother? Why even mess with it? You ready? We speak the truth in love in hope that speaking truth, no matter how unwanted, unwelcome, will lead people to truth himself who is Jesus. Why speak on these issues? Why? Because we have a culture that is screaming out on these issues. And the church must speak up with truth spoken in love in hopes to point people to Jesus. Can I remind you of something that I'll, I'll use in about 15 sermons this year? Truth is truth even if no one believes it and a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it. We are people of truth. Hey, by the way, can I tell you two groups of people who have no problem speaking the truth? Children and old people. Now, I don't know, we don't have no old people in here, but you get to a certain age, don't you? Or your give a care is broken. I've heard that phrase differently, but your give a care is broken. You don't can't give a care anymore. I love when you guys write emails. Those are fun. And my kids, they will tell you the truth. You can be in public 
around your church family, but you better not have anything in your nose. You better not have a blemish on your face, man, because my kids will call it out as truth bearers in front of everybody. Hey, can I add a third category to that, what ought to be? The people who tell the truth the most are children and, and old people, but it ought to be added in there, the church too. You and me. You see, Jesus knew the haters were there that day sitting poolside at Bethesda. He knew the, the haters could see him. They could hear him. He knew the haters would hate him. And he did what was right anyways. And he spoke the truth. He, he spoke the truth clearly in a confused world. Listen, there was confusion as to who the Messiah promised in the Old Testament would be and what he would do. We see that confusion come to life even in the disciples who thought that Jesus would come and conquer Rome when in reality he had come to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. There was a lot of confusion in that day, and yet we hear the claims of Christ. He speaks the truth clearly. There's a lot of confusion about Jesus. We see it poolside, don't we? I mean, think of it. These religious leaders who have spent their life looking for the Messiah has a guy who steps up on the scene and he does what only God can do and yet they're still confused about him. There's a lot of confusion about Jesus still alive today. We find this, that the philosophy turned religion of relativism has infused in our culture with this crippling fear and confusion. The philosophy of relativism says that all truth is relative and there is no such thing as absolute truth, meaning your truth doesn't have to be my truth. Truth is relative to a person's thoughts, experiences, and emotions. In short, relativism says this, that I am God and I create my own truth and it's valid. And you better cheerlead it. You better validate me. Or else. But we know this of our faith. Our faith is one not of relative truth, but of absolute truth. There is right and there is wrong, and morality is based upon an authority greater than us, and that is the authority of God and His Word. And so Jesus in the text gives five witnesses, five backers of truth that He spoke. In verses 31 through 47, here's the backers. You ready? Backer number one is God the Father, verse 32, 37, 38. Backer number two, John the Baptist would validate who Jesus is in 33 and 35. Backer number three, his miracles. By the way, just going to kind of not a spoiler alert here. There's more to come in the Gospel of John. But his miracles thus far, the wedding at Cana, the official son, and now this paralytic man pulls side. Backer number four, the scriptures, 39 through 44. And backer number five is Moses. Jesus says, hey, these guys got my back. That what I say to you is true. I love this in John chapter five, just a snapshot of this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus tells these haters, these religious leaders. They are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Hey, can I tell you something? Really what happens, and to sum it all down, in the cancel culture we see around us, is just a whole lot of people who refuse to come to Jesus to have life. I'm going to tell you, it breaks my heart. 
and I want them to know him. And that's why we've got to continue to speak the truth. Now, Anthony, if I, if I speak the truth and, truth and stand up for truth, who has my back? Who's my backer? Jesus got all these guys in his corner. Man, who's in, who's in my corner? Are you ready? God, the Father who created you. God, the Son who saved you. And God, the Holy Spirit, who not only sealed you, but now indwells you. And by the way, there is documentation available on the validity of the truth claims you have. And it is none other than the very Word of God. Now, see, I'm nervous. I'm a little scared to speak truth in a climate like this. I, I don't really even know what to say or to do. Hey, can I remind you what Jesus told his disciples when they had that type of conversation? When you're brought before the synagogues, the rulers, and the authorities, hey, your boss at work, your friends try to do an intervention with you to get you off this truth stuff. When you're no longer invited to the family table because... You hold the truth. Do not worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you will say. For watch this. The Holy Spirit, your backer, will teach you at that time what you should say. Hey, believer, put the work in. The work of prayer. Put the work in to know his word and to know the truth of God. And then you know what? Let the Holy Spirit do his work through you. And above all, refuse to be canceled. Hey, church, Jesus spoke the truth in front of haters who wanted to cancel him. Can I remind you of verse 18? <laughs> when it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. And so what me, we must do the same. Church, I will not be complacent. I will not be silent when it comes to any lie, any untruth that I know has, that is, and will continue to destroy people. You cannot scream at me enough, threaten me enough, cancel me enough, call me names enough to get me to ever not love you enough to speak the truth of the gospel with you. Because at every opportunity, I will speak the truth in love. And in hopes that it'll point you to Jesus, truth himself. You know, it never, they never stopped trying to cancel Jesus. In fact, they went so far as to crucify him on the cross. And there the God would lay upon him the sin of all of us. So that Jesus, that through his death, we might live. And not only us, but everyone who disagrees with us. They too have the chance at Jesus. And so, they couldn't cancel Jesus. Couldn't silence him. Don't let him cancel or silence you. Speak truth in love in hopes that the truth you are speaking will point people to Jesus. Jesus spoke truth that was both unwelcome and unwanted. He spoke the truth clearly in a culture that was clearly confused, and he refused to be canceled. And this is important, church, as I send you out here in just a few minutes. I want you to know, I, I'm not sending you out to be jerks. I'm sending you out to be Jesus. A.W. Tozer once said this. He said, a scared world needs a fearless church. You know what I would add to that? A sinful world, an intolerant world, a cancel culture world, a, a woke world needs a fearless church. And that's not just pastors and pulpits. That is you, the church, speaking truth in love. 
I want to close with this. Pastor Paul Seneca of India was martyred for his faith in Jesus, and yet after his death in the margins of his Bible, he wrote something that if you've been around the church any time, you might have heard, simply called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I want to read that to you as a challenge and a charge today to be people of truth, people of God, his church, and to be fearless in speaking the truth in love. Here's what he writes. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pull of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I have a great hope and it's coming back. So I preach till I'll know and I will work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problems recognizing me for my banner is clear. My banner is clear. And so in just a moment, church, I send you out to speak the truth in love in hopes that the truth you speak, that you live, will point people to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up-to-date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.